this morning. Something here in this ice cream bowl. 
main things that we're going to be committed to as a body is um, prayer and remembering what Christ has done for us, which is prayer. So um, I want to start this morning by giving place. If you're on the prayer list, you, you heard from us this week that our niece. works nights and was home alone and uh, the furnace malfunctioned and she woke up and the house was full of smoke and she got up and began to move through the house and the smoke from the covering the outside tumbled over the air. She passed out. Um, a little while later she was revived and I guess that she got down maybe four of the girls together and was able to, to um, come to and call for help and ended up being sent to Philly to be put in a hyperbaric chamber to remove the carbon monoxide from her system, and uh, she's going pretty well. She doesn't need uh, prayers. It'll be a process. Uh, she's having trouble remembering and some things right now as, as a result of that, but it's not expected to be permanent. But I, I kept thinking, um, what if she hadn't woke up? What if um, there hadn't been someone So we're just thankful that God spared her life and that he is speaking to her and we're trusting that he's going to use this to draw her home. So what other praises uh, do you have this week that you want to share about what you've seen God do? Well, we're a little slow getting started. It seems like that's one place. So, so who wants to Save us and help us with your way. 
that those you love may be delivered. And Seth, really, uh, it's helpful in this situation. What would we do without the Word of God to help us through these things? And that applies too a lot of us have people that have COVID and so on, and the Lord wants to help them. Help us all. Uh, that was a prayer request for a friend who's struggling with spiritual warfare, and I pray for a scripture that applies to that situation. Be thankful for God's grace to help us in those things. Others.
see your nature becoming part of us to become Jesus. It's so easy to get caught up in things of the world. As Mark started the service, he reflected on kind of indirectly some of the things that have transpired this week that can cause us to, to pause and cast our thoughts and work. We don't need to work because you're bigger than us. We knew what was going to happen this past week before it came. And we have a plan. And we simply need to rest in you and follow you and be faithful to you. And we promise you'll work for you. So we're trusting you that to be the case and we move forward every day of us trying to stay focused. And your goodness and not the distractions that are around us in our week. We thank you for this room, for Colleen uh, and Martin. We thank you for bringing them back to health. We thank you for them for Kelly and for ankle, for Galen, for healing knees and leg, and so many others, Lord. We thank you for bringing the nursing home safely. Out of quarantine, we'll be back here. We will be able to interact in this way. So we pray for the week to be more set back together. We pray that COVID goes in for their country, for home, and the lives of COVID bearers. We witness them daily for things to the neighbors we're familiar with, including their friends and family, that they know. We don't know. So Lord, we ask and join prayer with them for your protection for those people, Lord, that you protect them and care for them. For those who have it, would you bring strength? Would you give them strength as they seem to bring such a weakness? Would you renew their strength? And you use them as a testament to the rest of the nation, Lord. Would you be with Jake's dad? Continue to bring comfort and peace. Continue to orchestrate. All the details of the families traveling and settling affairs and the church moving on. And we ask again that you would raise somebody up to succeed what Jake did, to continue to lead in the way that Ashley did on her day. Bring those individuals to care for them, Lord. Father, we uh, pray this morning for Helen Hostetter, the Sunday Shirley. This morning, and sure that she's feeling rather poorly and needed prayer. So we ask right now that she would sense your presence, that your spirit would come and move with her strength and bring healing from whatever it is that's causing it. Bring her back to your sickbed. Father, we pray for this friend who is struggling with spiritual warfare. It doesn't matter that you don't know. You want to deliver them, and your word says that you will deliver them. So, Lord, help them to resist the enemy's attacks, to bring scripture and peace to move forward in spite of what's happening. Lord, help them not to focus on the circumstances, but your promise that you will, and that you will bring them through it in the end. 
Father, we thank you that Fran could answer her prayer and the relief to this pain that she had for the last two weeks. And we ask that that would continue, that it would not be returned. And she would get her love to the man. Father, we pray for Ms. Wilmer and Ken Clark surgery this week. And thank you for the skill the doctors have to do that procedure. And they came through well. They seem to be in complications now with Guide the doctor today as they try to address this and just bring things back to normal and come home soon. As I share with the group, I just thank you so much for sparing me. spoken with us, Lord, I haven't done this faithfully as I thought I would be, but there are many things that we want to share with her son that need her attention. Thank you that we know where they are and they're already there. Show us answers and show us to receive. We lift up one brother's grandfather as well as he can have trouble with his kidneys and Pray for our nation, Lord, as we leave this world and the division that continues. Only thing I can think to say is use us as your body to show another body. Lord, guide us now as we continue our service. You desire. 
So as I said, we're starting a new year, January is the beginning of May 10th. We talked about that some last week. 
Um, it represents a change in seasons. We went from fall to uh, winter, and, and officially that starts in December. But for most of us, you know, we're thinking about Christmas and all. And once January gets here, where we're really thinking, okay, January, February, that's when school ends again. So it's a change in seasons. It's a change in the date on the calendar. It's a change in our focus. And so one of my thoughts for several weeks now has been, where, where, we, where do we go from here? If you remember, we started our time together when I came looking at the early church, studying Acts, and trying to see what we can learn from them, what, what kind of things we should be doing as a fellowship. Um, in December, we started to look at what did we receive as a result of Jesus coming at Christmas? What kind of things did God give us? And then the last two weeks, we talked about that as a result of those things that we received, we've become oaks of splendor. And oaks of, excuse me, oaks of righteousness for God's splendor. And so that led into last week where we need to take assessment of our lives and look at where we are and where we need to continue to grow. And I, I hope you take time to do that uh, this week. We mentioned a couple of times in our service, alluded to what transpired in Washington see this week and there's much in our nation that I think we would want to see change. Perhaps even in our community we would want to see change. But I'll be taking time in our own minds to think about what needs to change for that to happen. And so that was the point of last week. And reflecting on those two topics that we're become oaks of righteousness and it takes reflection and things led me to where we're going to be going as we've always said, it's going to be looking at God's word. And most of us would probably say we have at least somewhat of an understanding of what that is and what that looks like. But we're going to uh, find out as we move through the coming weeks that some of us, most of us, have, through the course of our lives, developed a way of looking at things that may be off just a little bit. How we process what we hear is focused in an incorrect direction. It might make us uncomfortable. It might challenge us. You may not like some of the things that I say. It's not intended to attack anybody. It's not intended to uh, attack anything, which would make sense in a little while. Um, but if follow along with where I'm going in the coming weeks, we'll begin to realize there's an illness in our theology, in our church, not Mount Pleasant specifically, but the church in America. And as this illness continues unchecked, we will definitely lose our nation. And we may lose something much more important. Our souls are the souls of those who follow us. And so we want to begin to look at how we do God and make sure we're doing it in a right way. So let me move forward. I'm going to start with a question. And that question is who's the main character of the Bible? 
there could be many ways to answer that. Depending on, on how you perceive that question, you may think, oh, there's lots of people in the Bible that you want to see talking about. But that's a little more in-depth focus than, than what I'm thinking, or, or, or maybe less focus. Um, there's really two answers to that question of who's the main character of the Bible. The one answer that it could be is mankind, myself. If I'm the focus of the Bible, when I read the Bible, I begin to ask things like, well, what do I get out of this life? What do I get out of salvation? What do I get out of being obedient? What do I get when I get to heaven? In other words, what's in the Bible for me? It's about me. And the other main character it could be about is God. If God's the main character of the Bible, then when we pick up the Bible, we ask a simple question. What does God get out of this? What does God get out of saving me? What does God get out of me entering heaven? What does God get when a miracle takes place? It's a different question. Obviously, the correct answer to who's the main character is God. And in case we need any confirmation of that, I have a couple verses we're going to flash up on the screen. The first one is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. Where does the Bible start? It starts with the one who created everything, who is bigger than everything, who holds everything in his hand. In the beginning, God. We weren't there at the beginning. So how could we be the main character? Genesis 1-27. God made man in his image. We try to make God in our image. We try to comprehend him in the narrowness of our understanding, and he's so much bigger than that. God made us in his image. So we need to understand what that image is. And then we get to one of the favorite verses of the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he is talking about what he did. And we look at it as, oh, God loves me so much, he does this for me. Well, yes, he did. But he did it for himself as well. And we're going to learn more about that. But even the first, one of the favorite verses in the Bible starts, for God. God is the main character. And the last verse we're going to look at is Romans 11, 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. That's kind of the theme verse of where we're going in the coming weeks. To him be glory forever. Everything's from him and for him. And just to kind of wrap up this, this introduction, if mankind were the main character of the Bible, or another way to say that is the main character of life. Is God the main character of my life or am I the main character of my life? If mankind were the main character why did God create 71% of the earth to be water where we can't even live? If mankind were the center of life, why are there sounds dogs can hear and we can't? If mankind's the center of life, why can eagles see better than we can? If mankind's the center of the earth, why isn't earth the center of the universe like it is? 
and wide are the galaxies. So many galaxies, so far away, we can't even see them or experience them. It's because they're not ready for us to look at. They're part of his glory of who he is and what he wants people to see about him. And so I'm going to share two statements um, to begin this series. And the first one is one I think we'll all agree with. God is the main character of the Bible, and he has lived or exists to radiate his glory. That's his purpose. He wants to demonstrate who he is, what his character is, wants us to recognize more and more about what he's like. The second statement is, the average Christian says God is the main character, but lives and acts as if humanity is the main character. And as a result, humanity often replaces God in his image. You may question that. Again, this is not an attack. This is just asking us to evaluate are we looking at God and are we looking at Scripture appropriately in the way that He wants us to? And I have a few examples to illustrate this statement that the average Christian says God is God, but we often put ourselves there. First example is I want to ask the question, why did Jesus come to earth? I'm not going to ask any of you to answer that out loud because I don't want to put you on the spot. But a typical answer would be to save us, right? Is that all that happened? And is that how God viewed it, or is that how man views it? So we have, as I said earlier, a certain way of looking at things. We have a filter, if you will. But as we hear things, as we see things, we process them and evaluate, what does it mean for me? And being human, we tend to process it in light of humanness, our limited understanding. And so when someone says, why did Jesus come? To save me. That's not wrong. But it's also not complete. It's not the entire answer. And I want to challenge you that every time you think about something theologically, when you read something in the Bible, that you go beyond, what does it mean for me? What does it say about God? What does God want me to know about him? Why would God do this to more to it than me. Let's ask that question in a different way. We ask why did Jesus Christ come to earth? What did Jesus get? Or excuse me. What did God get out of Jesus coming? It's a little different perspective. And again, we might say, well, he got us. Because Jesus came, we can be restored to him, so God got us. Again, that's true, but it's not complete. It's not where God was headed. It wasn't his sole purpose in doing what he did. The truth is that when God sent Jesus, he got glory, he got honor, praise, worship, obedience, and much more. See, God was looking to restore us to him so that he would receive what he was doing in the first place, our recognition of who he is. Yes, he wanted us to be restored, but he also wanted to receive what was rightfully his. 
and that's what he got out of slavery. How do we get out of thinking that way? How do we have a better filter of looking at things? Well, as usual, our best example was Jesus and what he lived out and what he showed us. And we're going to read from Philippians chapter 2. And if you haven't noticed yet, we read from Philippians 2 more times than any other passage since I've been here. I hope you won't get sick of hearing it from me, but to me, this is an important scripture. So Philippians 2, starting at verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. So he's telling us, flat out, be like Jesus. Here's your example, follow this. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Open ending to the glory of God the Father. The example that Jesus set of humble service and eventually being raised up is not where it ends. All of that was to the glory of the Father. That's where he was going. And that's where we need to be focused. We need to take a humble spirit and find out what God is asking. From us and follow that wherever it leads to give glory to God. So that was one example that we just talked about. Why did Jesus come to earth? A second example of where humans um, say God's the main character but can tend to put themselves in the primary position is what's our primary reason for not wanting others to go to heaven? If you tell somebody else about Jesus, why do you Often it's because we care about that person and we don't want to see them suffer. We know what hell is and we want them to avoid that. Is that the complete answer? Not really. Because again, it's focusing only on our human need and not on what God is doing. If God saved us for his glory, then he wants to save others for his glory as well. And so, yes, we should not want them to suffer, but more we should want them to see God's glory and give God what he deserves. King David in Psalm 30, verse 9, said this, What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? What David's really saying is, God, if I die, who's going to give you the praise? That's why we should want to save them. Because God deserves their recognition of who he is and what he's done. And we should want more than we want people not to suffer. We should want God 
So moving forward in this study, it's going to have a funny title. Um, you may think it, it, it makes light of it, but we're going to talk about something called cat and dog theology. It's two different ways to look at things when we hear it from the Bible. Depending upon who the main character in the Bible is, you will have two different ways of looking at things. By the way, theology is the study or the understanding of God. And so we're going to be looking at who God is and what he's like to try to get a right understanding. And as I said, cat and dog theologies are two different ways of looking at it. And we're simply going to use these animals and their tendencies, some of the stereotypes of these animals, if you will, to illustrate how we as Christians might respond in certain situations. My intention is not to beat up anybody if you're a dog lover or a cat lover or neither. My intention is not to beat you up for that or say you're a bad person or whatever or say cats or dogs are bad. It's just an illustration. Okay? So, so don't send me emails to Ben Paulson and say, that's not right, I like my animal. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? Um, by the way, this isn't my illustration. This is one I got 14 years ago. And it's had a meaningful impact in my life, and so I'm going to share it. So, to understand what I'm talking about, picture a dog, if you will. How many of you have a dog? Not many. How many of you have been in a, in a home that has a dog? Almost all of us. Or we've seen them on TV. What happens when you come to a home with a dog? Generally, the dog will get excited, right? They'll see or hear you coming, they begin to bark, they begin to prance, they're at the door waiting for you to get in. When you get in, they're, they're depending on how well they're trained, they may be jumping on you or they may just be sniffing you or lifting your hand if you let them. They want attention, they want to see you. They're very excited to see you. And dogs, you can train to do some pretty neat things. Um, Hunting tricks, get the paper, you know, whatever. Um, now picture a cat. Most of you have either had a cat or been in a home that has a cat. Have you ever found a cat waiting for you at the door so excited to see you? Probably not, unless they need to go out uh, or they need to come in because they're cold. Otherwise, they're probably not waiting at the door. As a matter of fact, probably. Um, when you come in, they don't even recognize that you're there. Um, at least initially. When they feel like it, they'll come and uh, snuggle up for a quarter moment or whatever. And can you pet a cat? Maybe some cats in, in, in a certain way or when they feel like it. But if they don't feel like it, they'll do that. And uh, to kind of sum that up, there's a, there's a little saying that dogs have masters, cats have staff. Dogs understand that we're taking care of them and they love us for it. Cats think we're just there to serve them. Don't, don't bother me with anything else, but meet, meet my needs. Okay. So as I said, two different ways to view things. We're going to use those stereotypes of what dogs and cats are like to help us evaluate where we are in understanding God. And uh, I'm not going to take time to read the uh, what we call female and male. Favorites, and he's come and gone, and basically, as long as this applies to cats. So, um, 
in, in looking at dogs and cats and other some other statements that will be helpful as we move forward, a dog says, "You pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. You must be God." In other words, as I said a moment ago, dogs illustration. As Christians, dogs recognize who God really is and they adore Him for it. They praise Him for it. They recognize it's not because of how special they are, they recognize it as how special God is. Cats, on the other hand, say, You pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, you do all this for me, and I must be God. Obviously, none of us as Christians would say, I'm God. Because nobody would want to. But in our actions, in our responses to things, we subtly communicate that I'm in the highest place. Because it's all about me, isn't it? Jesus came to die for me. He suffered for me. He's going back to heaven to build me a home. It must be all about me. And that we can get caught up in that kind of thinking. That whatever we did here is God loves me so much, and He does love us. But He loves me so much because I'm so special and I'm the center of everything. And that's not what God is communicating at all. He's saying, I'm the center of everything. I'm saving you for everything. You recognize that and give your praise that I'm due. Here's some of the ways those differences. Cats and dogs are lived out. Uh, I tried to put them in pet terms. Training could refer to reading the Bible. What's our focus when we read the Bible? Are we looking for who God is or what we can get for ourselves? Cats like verses like Jeremiah 29 11. It's a familiar verse. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Well, that sounds pretty good. Not to harm you. I like that a lot. Plans to give you hope and future. Amen. Bring it on, right? Is that scripture for everyone? Well, I think in some ways it is, but that scripture was really particular. But capsules in our in our human minds, in our human thinking, if we think the Bible is all about us, we'll take verses like that and we'll cling to it and say, everything's going to be perfect because that's what God says. And that's not really what God says. Dogs, when they read the Bible, they read that and they'll appreciate it, but they're also going to accept verses like Philippians 3.10. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. That sounds pretty good so far. Power, I want power. But then it says in participation in the sufferings. That's going to go great. I think that I'd like to get to Jeremiah where he said you're going to Coming like him in his death. No, I'm not so sure that's for me. Dogs understand that it's not about him, it's about God, and that God knows my best and my offering because it brings me glory. Some other things. 
differences that we see in evangelical Christians is how we respond to trauma. Well, we can't respond to trauma. Well, I've never seen anybody take a thing that way. Some, sometimes, if you've got the food, or again, if it's cold outside and you open the door to let them in, sometimes they will respond. The cat's response to salvation is a little different. I'm going to use that word come as, as the illustration for salvation. Cat's response to salvation is they see car. You see the picture of the cat there. Um, you can't read the words at the bottom. It says, I'll just pop it really slowly now. A cat's looking at hell and saying, I don't want to go there, so God, I'll, I'll accept Jesus and, and I'll say a prayer. But that I don't go there, and that's their focus. They're focusing on the negative of what they don't want. The dog, on the other hand, is going to be illustrated in this little video. <laughs> we have some sound. That's how a dog responds to come. As a matter of fact, if you know the Flintstones, Fred doesn't even say come. He responds like I said dogs do at the beginning. When they see their master, they just joyfully get excited, take off, want to be with them. And so a dog, an appropriate response to salvation is to understand that we're headed to God. We're headed to praising him for the rest of our lives. And we're running to meet him. We're not running away from That can be illustrated in the verse Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. A right understanding of the Bible will lead us to a point where we give up everything else in our life. For what's valuable. For what's eternal. In order to properly Another one of the differences we just talked about, uh, some of the training things. Um, sometimes when the training doesn't work, you send an animal to obedience school. Are there obedience schools for cats? Now, this little cartoon, and I'm sure you can't read, Clark was watching TV, it says, Welcome once again to the Obedient Cat Show. And then it says, starring absolutely no one. Cats aren't necessarily known for their obedience, so you can teach them new things. Cats generally do what, what they want to do. And that's illustrated in, in the Christian life by those who um, say, I'll obey God, but I'll obey God for me. God, in response, will you protect me? Will you care for me? Will you make me attractive? Will you make me popular? Will you make me wealthy? Will you bless my plan? Cats are obedient to what they can get from God. Again, escape from hell, not recognizing who God is and wanting to praise Him. Dogs, on the other hand, want to obey because of their love for Him. And they see that when you train a dog, you can whip a dog into submission. Um, 
not get the obedience that you want. Generally, it goes if you treat them with affection and they understand what it is you're asking them to do, they just do it because they want to serve their master better. And that's how Christians who are represented by dogs respond to God. I'm going to do this just because I love God. Just because I recognize who He is. And I want to please Him. This can be represented in our time and our resources. Have say, this percent of my time, this percent of my resources are God's. I'll gladly give that. The rest is mine. Don't touch it. Dogs say, Everything I have is from God. And I'm going to use it for His honor and His glory. And we can see that picture in um, finances. We feel like we have that under control. But what about time? What does our calendar look like? What are we doing with our time outside of Sunday morning? For five or ten minutes in the morning. How much of our time is God's? And at the risk of stepping on some toes, what does the talent look like? Where in the Bible does it say at a certain age you no longer have to serve? All of our time is God's. He doesn't change when you're 62 or 65 or whatever it is. How does he want me to use my time? Something else I read this week that I hadn't seen before was how do cats and dogs handle their messes? Cats use a litter box, right? They try to hide their mess. At least they kind of tidy, right? But they hide their mess. Their master still has to take care of it, change the litter box, but they don't want to acknowledge that there's anything there to clean up. You know? It's just left behind. Dogs let their messes out. First John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we're following God and understanding who he is, fully, then when we make a mistake, we don't try to hide it, we don't try to sweep it under the rug and call oh, this forgive me. We allow him. Share it with others, not, not to hide it, but to represent, not to boast about ourselves, but to represent how good our God is. So, as I said earlier, cats aren't incorrect. Just read complete a quick list, some things that Christians will say that aren't quite complete. I'm not going to hell. Christ died for me. I'm blessed. I know God. I'll have a home in heaven. All of those things are true and not wrong. But a dog, someone whose understanding of God is more complete, will say this. I'm not going to hell because of God's mercy. Christ died for me for God's glory. I'm blessed because I am blessed already. I know God 
any of us are familiar with this verse on Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. How many of you know that verse? <coughs> How many of you know this verse here? What's it say? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We want to know God. Wow, isn't that awesome? Still, I can know God. But God says, it's so that I will be exalted. It's so I can be lifted up in the earth. And finally, God will say, I'll have a home in heaven. Praise God for that. That's what we do. This is all part of Satan's strategy. It's all about me. That's what he wants us to think. So Satan understands that we're not going to fall for completeness, or at least most of us don't. And so he does what he can to get us off the path. He doesn't want God to receive glory. So it helps us, or he gets us to focus on something that's near to God, but isn't complete. And that's us. He gets us to focus on ourselves and think it's all about us instead of on God. And in Isaiah, we read about. Satan, verse 12 to 14, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in throne of the mount of assembly, and the utmost height of Mount Zion. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like That's what Satan wants to do in our lives. He wants us to put ourselves in the place of God, even if it's subtly, even if it's not consciously. He wants us to think this is about me, I'm the most important thing when it's really God. So, in conclusion, um, we're going to be using these illustrations in the coming weeks, but in conclusion for today, dogs understand the main character of the Bible is God. Folks of the light should be found. We read this in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. The thing to take away for today is what question am I asking when I read the scripture? When I go to the Lord in prayer? Am I looking for myself and 